You may have noticed that we have an Acts text instead of the Old Testament text in our liturgy. That's because the season between Easter and Pentecost is the season of the church in Eastertide. And so we have the Acts text there, and oftentimes I will preach from that text during this season of the church. Be bold, brethren, be bold. Our text this morning is Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you'd open your word to us by the power of your spirit. We pray that you'd pour out your spirit upon us and make us bold for your kingdom. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. During the late Protestant Reformation, Scotland had become a Presbyterian nation. In an attempt to wield power in religious matters, King Charles I of England imposed a prayer book on all of Scotland that the Presbyterians found doctrinally unsound and heavy-handed since it was not allowed to be reviewed by the, by the Scottish Parliament and the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland. To get some idea of this, imagine if President Biden told us how we were to worship, what our liturgy was to look like, and what hymns we were allowed to sing. On the day of the first use of this liturgy in St. Giles Cathedral in Edinburgh, a merchant woman, Jenny Geddes, threw her folding stool at the minister and said, Devil cause you colic in your stomach, false thief. Dare you say the mass in my ear? It was a time for boldness. Likewise, when authorities in Jerusalem threatened to try to hogtie the apostles as they led the early church, the book of Acts shows us it was a time for boldness. A time for boldness. Go open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, beginning of verse 27. Acts 5, verse 27. And it says there in Acts 5, 27, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. Now we're already deep into the church age. A lot of things have happened. There's a lot of water under the bridge. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended, and the Spirit has been poured out. The day of Pentecost has already passed. And miracles are occurring in spades in the church. Miracles by the hands of the apostles. The church has grown as well. There's over 5,000 men in the church at this point in time. With wives and children, there's probably 10,000, maybe 20,000 people in the church. It's a very substantial portion of the population of Jerusalem at this time. The apostles have been arrested once and warned not to speak in Jesus' name. And then the apostles were arrested twice, and an angel set them free. The apostles have now been arrested a third time, and they're brought before the Sanhedrin. The ruling council of Israel gathered together. Those of the Pharisee party, those of the Sadducee party. We've got priests here. We've got scribal groups here. All gathered around, sitting around in a horseshoe, and the apostles are placed in the midst of them to give testimony. They're on trial. And now, with fear and trembling, because the church is large, the apostles are held in high esteem, and the Spirit has been moving powerfully, the Sanhedrin tries the apostles. For you see, it's the Sanhedrin now that comes with fear and trembling. The second part of verse 27. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Friends, earthly powers will try to silence God's people. 
Earthly powers here try to silence God's people. And when earthly powers try to silence God's people, the question is, what do you do? What do you do? Wicked kings tried to silence God's prophets. And fire came from heaven on those who opposed Elijah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel could not be silenced, and pagan kings and kingdoms became believers. Think about it. It's almost unbelievable. The people of God, placed into captivity and exile, taken out of their land after being conquered, taken away to Babylon. You think all would be lost, and yet God raises up his prophets. He raises up men like Daniel. He raises up men like Ezekiel. And in the midst of these trials, even as powers and authorities are trying to have men like Daniel put to death, what happens? God brings down the emperor of the Babylonian empire. Makes him like an animal where he's crawling through the grass and eating like an animal. And then God brings him back to life. And what happens? He believes. He believes in the true and living God. And then Daniel himself is raised to the heights of power so that in reality, he's the ruler over the Babylonian and later the Persian Empire. Jesus could not, would not be silenced. And the silence of the tomb was temporary before the Lion of Judah roared across history. And the church, friends, has not been silent for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, the church has expanded from 120 people in an upper room until today, this very morning. There are 2.5 billion Christians in the world. That's three times as many as there were 100 years ago. So when earthly powers say silence, we say, bring it on. Going on to verse 29. And Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. Now, Peter had already said that he was convicted that he must preach the gospel during his first arrest. And then he was arrested again, and he had a miraculous release and a message given from God. Now, you want, I want you to think about this for a minute, what God does. So they're arrested a second time. They've been preaching in the temple grounds. They're arrested. They're warned. Stop doing that. They're arrested a second time. This time they're placed into prison. And here's what God does. Acts 5, 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Notice that they weren't just let out of the prison, but there's a message from God. A message from God. Even though the authorities had said, be silent, stop coming into the temple, stop speaking about this Jesus, and yet being let out of prison, being given a message through the angel from God, and God says to them, you go back right out there and you preach the gospel again. Islam, with its soft oppression and intimidation like you see in England and France, You'll see them coming in their hundreds. They'll go out into a busy intersection. They'll just walk out into the traffic and put their prayer rugs down. They'll start praying. They'll clog up all the sidewalks and frighten and intimidate everyone. And the message is clear. We're here, and we're here in power and authority. You better bend the knee to our God. Or suicide bombings, like we see with murder in Egypt, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka, all done to try to silence the church. The secular left in Cuba, North Korea, and even now in our land, seeks to silence the church. Recently, 
abruptly at Yale Law School, they yank the stipends for graduate students who do internships with Christian firms. I know a campus preacher who was regularly threatened, assaulted, and battered. He's had coffee dumped on his head in campus free speech zones. And for you guys out here, you young people who are going to college now or heading off into your first jobs, try getting a job in academia and Hollywood as an open Christian. Friends, wake up. It's coming. What to do? Should we be afraid? Should we run away and hide? This is our moment, brethren. This is our moment. Our destiny has arrived as it has for many, many generations of Christians in lands where the church has grown soft, fearful, and pliable. Places like Western Europe where the church has diminished. Places like the Byzantine Empire where the faith diminished and then was taken over by Islam. Will future generations remember us as those who stood boldly for the cross of Christ? When the authorities seek to silence us, will we say we must obey God rather than men? Can I hear an amen to that? Verse 30, Peter continues, The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. The Sanhedrin charged them with don't teach in Jesus' name, filling Jerusalem with the gospel. And don't charge us with his death. Isn't that ironic? Now that the church is growing, now that there's rumors that Jesus has risen from the dead, now that there's thousands of people in Jerusalem that believe that Jesus was risen from the, the dead, suddenly the Sanhedrin's not so bold anymore. They were bold when they ran Jesus to the cross. They were proud to say, we have no king but Caesar, crucify him, crucify him. But now suddenly, they don't want to be charged with his death. And Peter says to them, on this matter, you can go pound sand and then preaches right into their hate-filled faces. He says, Yahweh God raised Jesus from the dead. You killed him by shamefully hanging him on a tree. Shamefully hanging him on a tree. There's no more shameful death in Judaism than being hung on a tree. Is there something inherently more shameful about being hung on a tree than, say, being beheaded or strangled? I don't think so. Why is it so? Because God foreordained it, that those who are hung on a tree would have been considered to be those hung in shame. Why? Because Messiah would come and take our shame upon himself. He would be the one that would be hung on a tree. And think about it for a minute, brethren. The cross is what? A dead tree. It is a tree of life, now dead. And what happens at the end of the day? Jesus resurrects from the dead, and that's why all of our crosses are always set up very beautifully, because what happens? The dead tree lives again. Our shame for his shame. And before we look at the Jews in the first century and we say, look at them how they charged the apostles. I wouldn't have done that. Our sins killed Jesus, but these men were the explicit executioners. Peter continues, but God caused also that this Jesus might ascend to the right hand of the Father. That he not only rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and there he reigns as king of the cosmos. And then Peter says, in essence, repentance. There is forgiveness for those who turn to the Savior. Verse 32, 
And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The apostles were witnesses to all these things. They saw, they heard, they tasted. They were with Jesus for three years. They experienced his life and ministry. They experienced his life and ministry through their own hands when he deputized them and sent them to go forth spreading the kingdom. They saw Jesus feed multitudes out of bare hands. They saw Jesus walk on the water. They saw Jesus raise the dead. They saw Jesus go to the cross and to die there. Jesus died upon the cross and they were far away. His close friends off at the periphery. They saw and they heard about Jesus dying and being laid in a tomb and then they thought it was all over. But on the third day the tomb was empty because Jesus had risen from the dead. And they heard the reports of the empty tomb and the strange reports of the women having seen Jesus risen from the dead. And then Jesus appeared among them and they saw him. They talked with him. They ate with him. They saw him eat food too. He said, touch me as we saw in our text here. See the nail prints in my hands. See the wound in my side. And they saw his resurrection and at the end of the day, in the book of Acts, he gives final instructions, and then he rose up from before them and ascended into heaven, and they were witnesses of all these things. They have an all-powerful Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, who bears witness to us and to the world that was poured out on Pentecost. But I want to say this, friends. For all the glory the apostles saw, for all the power that they experienced, for all these things, and yet you have more than the apostles did. You have more than the apostles did. When the apostles are going through these trials here in the book of Acts, they don't have the fullness of the scriptures yet. Their Bible is the Old Testament, pointing forward to the coming of Messiah. That book that sits in your hands is the most powerful, widely read book in the history of the world. It's not just a book, it's a testimony of truth that has happened they didn't have the gospel accounts of Jesus. They didn't have the letters to the churches testifying to the great works that were done by the power of the Spirit through the people of God that are the epistles. They didn't have the book of Revelation that tells us how things are and how they will end. But you have all of this. You have the New Testament. You have the Holy Spirit of God poured out into your hearts. You have the Holy Spirit of God moving through us and through our brothers and sisters all over the world. And something else that you have that they don't have. You have the witness of 2,000 years of Jesus rocking the world and bringing the nations into the kingdom of God. So with all of this, friends, when authorities seek to silence us, will we say, we must obey God rather than men? And what is the message of Jesus? Don't fear. Don't fear. God is with us. The Romans tried to crush the church. Islam tried to smash the church in the Middle East and South Asia. The communists tried to liquidate the church in Eastern Europe and Asia. And guess what? We're still here, and we're growing more powerfully day by day. The church is larger today than it's ever been. The church is expanding with missionary vigor in ways that have never occurred in all of history within the nations that are controlled by Islam. You might not know that because our newspapers are always telling you bad news. We're still here and we're growing powerfully day by day. Why? Because Jesus 
wins. Can I hear an amen to that? So stand fast. Hold to good doctrine. Don't be afraid to bear witness because Jesus Christ is Lord. Three years ago, I was in Pakistan where I saw believers in churches in large cities like Lahore and in small villages outside of Bahawalpur. On October 18, 2001, six armed men entered St. Dominic's Church in Bahawalpur, shot the guard, and then opened fire on the worshipers, killing 17 of them. On March 27, 2016, as Christians were celebrating Easter in a park in Lahore, a suicide bomber detonated himself in a crowd filled with women and children, killing 75 people and maiming 340. And yet when I was there, I saw churches filled with worshipers singing the psalms with gusto, ministers preaching the gospel with vigor, and the lost from Islam being brought to Jesus. These are brothers and sisters in Christ under intense pressure to be silent are bold. The apostles in the book of Acts are bold. Our brethren in harm's way are bold. Let us be bold with them. For in this age, it is always a time for boldness. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful Holy Spirit poured out upon the church and into our hearts. Take away our fear and our time and place. And help us to be like the apostles, bold, bold for the cross of Christ, bold to testify to the resurrection of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and bold to live our lives for your honor and glory. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.